Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. If my voice sounds different, it is. Does my voice sound different to anybody? Sound good, baby. No, I have a head cold. It's a lovely thing. I've got water right here to cleanse my, I'm not cleansing my palate, but anyway. Listen, I'm so glad to see you today. I know this is an exciting week, as we've already mentioned, leading up to Thanksgiving. Uh, And so before I even get into my sermon, uh, we want to take a moment to share with you, because I'm guessing many of you are curious, you're wondering about the results from our Hope for the House Commitment Sunday, which was last week. Is anybody curious? Three or four people. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about it in just a moment, but first... But first, with this radio announcer voice, uh, I want to give you some, some clarity and some context uh, as we move into what I want to share with you today. First of all, and we've got some slides to help with this, uh, our Hope for the House campaign, it, it's what we call a one-fund campaign. And so our giving total as a church over the next two years 2020 and 21, the total goal is that we would together give $1.5 million. Now, let me explain that before we move on. This includes two years of our regular ministry budget, and then it also includes our financial goals for our future church home. So follow me here. Some of you who were at the banquet, you'll remember my illustration. I had the two buckets, the the smaller bucket, and once that was full of water, it spilled over into the larger bucket. So think about that just for a moment, and here's how this works. Every single week, beginning in January of 2020, every single week, our goal over the next two years is not just to meet the regular budget, but to exceed the budget. And then every single penny given above and beyond our budget will flow directly into a savings account for our future church home. Now, you're like, okay, I think I get that. But there was some confusion last week. There was. Uh, For some of you, uh, your mind went where my mind probably would have gone before I knew this concept of a one-fund offering. And you probably went here. You thought, you know, I've done this before. I did this years ago at another church before God brought me to hope. And how that offering worked, you filled out a pledge card, but the only thing you did on the pledge card was say, hey, here's my goal. Here's what I want to give to what we're trying to build together over the next two or three years. Listen, that's kind of the way all churches have done it for the past 75 years. Really common. That's what everybody has always done. But... Most of you, I think, realize that things continue to change in church culture today. And a part of that change is how families give toward the mission and ministry of the church. And so I want to help you. Maybe you're not understanding this, but real quickly, here again, this this is just some clarity to help you understand what's going on. Here are four quick reasons to help you understand why we as a church 
are going into this as a one fund campaign. I'm gonna put these on the screen. Number one, why are we using this model? Number one, the one fund model helps expand our giving base and it also encourages new givers. Now, let me just put this into perspective. I realize some of you, you've been in church all your life. So when you hear a pastor or a church leader talk about, we're asking you to give over and above, you know immediately what that means. You say, well, I get that. I, I give, I tithe on a regular basis, and, and I'm going to give over and above that towards our project. But what if you're in a newer church where there are many people who have never been in any kind of campaign, and they're just trying to figure out how to give, period. When you say over and above to them, they're like, over and above what? And so that's one of the truths to why the one fund model is so awesome. It encourages new givers. Truth number two, the one fund model goes hand in hand with teaching the biblical principles of giving. I cannot wait for January to get here. After we get going into January, we're going to go through a sermon series called The Blessed Life. It is some of the greatest teaching I personally have ever received, and I want to share it with you on God's principles for money and how we've been asked to steward it. And so think about this. What we learn biblically about giving during this campaign, we're able to apply practically. And so that's where we're going in 2020. A third truth. Why a one fund campaign? The one fund model creates strong mission and vision alignment. Well, here's, here's our hope, that we could cast vision holistically as we move forward as a church. Not just say, hey, here it is. We got one project. Give us everything you can towards this one project. No, we want to continue to serve the church, to love God, to love people, and prove it as we go into this two-year season of a campaign. And then fourth, this makes a whole lot of sense. The one fund model, it just streamlines giving. There's no confusion there's like, it's not divisive. And so as a church, we can increase overall giving when, it, when it's streamlined. Okay, does that make sense? That's why we're doing a one fund campaign. Now, if, let me give you the rest of what I want to talk about, the, the context of what happened last week. Now, and some of these numbers you'll be like, wow, that blows my mind. In this calendar year, 2019, I'm talking about from the first Sunday in January to current date. So far in 2019, there have been 155 families. Now, when I say a family, you have to realize we have some individuals, people who, who give, who are not, you know, they're not married, they don't have kids, anything. But in 2019, there are 155 families who have somehow given to the mission and ministry of Hope Fellowship Church. What is our mission? What is our ministry? Let's say it together. Love God, love people, prove it, just in case you forgot. Let's say it. One, two, three. To love God, love people, and prove it. Just making sure you're with me. Okay, you're, you're good. That was good. Last Sunday on Commitment Sunday, 56 of those families filled out a commitment card making a two-year commitment to hope for the house. You're like, well, okay. You know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Now, Real quickly, some of you might say, oh, I wasn't able to turn in a card. I still plan to do that. Yes, yes, we want you to do that. In fact, we placed some more cards on the seats. Maybe you weren't here last week. And back at both of our guest areas, there, there are some big glass canisters. 
If you haven't had a chance to do that, you can do that. You can continue to do that. And so, so far, as of last week, 56 families made a commitment. Here's the next slide. Here it is. You're like, well, how much did we give? Look at this number. Those 56 families have committed to give $815,348. I think that is absolutely amazing. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Listen, that, that is 56 families stepping out in faith and sacrificing so that lives can be forever changed by Jesus Christ. Now listen, I do not want to rush past this Thank you, thank you to those of you for your obedience and for your commitment and for your generous hearts. Listen, last week, you know, I'm always close up here. As I begin to observe, we had on both sides of the gymnasium opportunities for people to come. And as I begin to just watch, watching so many of you choose to be a part of something that's bigger than all of us. And I watched as family after family chose toward this decision to give Hope Fellowship a home so that more people can become a part of this family. Listen, I know God is glorified by your generosity. I know that lives will be eternally changed, and that includes those of you who made a commitment to give. Your life will be changed. Now, listen. I realize that $815,348 is not $1.5 million. And so hear me. For, for a church our size, a $1.5 million goal is a God-sized goal, and I don't want it any other way. I don't want anything but a God-sized goal, and I still believe that together we can not only reach, but we can exceed this goal. Think about this with me. Think about this. There are still 99 families who've not yet filled out a commitment card. They've not yet taken the step of faith to be all that God is calling them and inviting them to do. So if you're one of those 99, if you're one of those 99 as your pastor, I want to ask you to step out in faith. And trust God as you make a commitment to join us on this journey. You, you will be changed for the better. You will be blessed if you will trust his word and move forward with us. And then a final number from last Sunday. Listen, I, I really think this is one of the most exciting things. This is another huge victory just from last Sunday. There were eight families who filled out a commitment card last week. And their commitment represents their decision to faithfully begin to tithe for the very first time. That's a huge thing. Listen, that's huge. Yeah, you can clap. Go ahead. All right? And, and so God is so very good. I, I know that we just prayed, but I just want to thank the Lord again. Join me, would you? Heavenly Father, we're overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed, God, by your people and their faithfulness. And so, Lord, as we trust you, as we follow you, God... I pray that you would use us, you would guide us, you would lead us for your glory. God, let, our keep, keep, let us keep our eyes focused on you. God, and, and, and as we give, may you receive all honor and glory as we desire, God, to see you give us a permanent church home. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, that, that's, that's the update. Once again, if you have not had a chance to do that, there are these 
clear jars back there on the tables in the back that you can, you can join us in participating and making your commitment. All right. Uh, the, the title to the lesson, the, man, I can't, y'all, seriously, I have a cold. I'm a little bit out of it, uh, is How to Be Unthankful. Now, before I even start this sermon, I, I, you need to acknowledge something with me, and I need to make sure all of you hear this, you have to be on the same page. I'm inviting you for the first 10 minutes or so of this sermon to laugh at yourself, okay? It's okay to laugh at yourself. I am telling you on the front side of this sermon, the first 10 minutes or so of this sermon, you might think to yourself, what is he saying? You might be offended by some of the points I'm about to preach to you, and you might be tempted to say, I'm I'm just going to get up and walk out of here. Don't. It's going to be okay, and this will all make sense in about 10 minutes, okay? Yeah, how's that for a teaser? You're like, oh, what's going to do? Let me start with scripture. This is not going to surprise anybody. Look, look with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. What a great passage this is. Consider this as we move into this week. Here we go. And we are to do everything. Humbling and arguing. Why? So that you may be blameless and pure. So that you may be children of God who are faultless in this crooked and perverted generation among whom you, Christ follower, you shine like stars in the world. Now I'm going to ask you to think about that. I'm going to ask you to really abide in that scripture as we prepare for what what many of us are about to face this week. It's the week of Thanksgiving. And I see some families together today. My guess is some of you are going to celebrate even today. Thanksgiving is great for some of us. For some of us, it's not so easy. Anybody would say, you know, it's just not that easy for me. Is that you? Okay. The Bible tells us that we are to do everything without grumbling and without complaining. But you may be saying to yourself right now, yes, I know the Bible says that, but God, show me a little grace. I have not perfected that in my life yet. You might say, well, surely if the Apostle Paul who who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, surely if he knew how good of a complainer I was, he'd change his message, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so these practices that I'm going to share with you in the first 10 minutes of the sermon, they are guaranteed to make you a very efficient complainer. Point number one. Point number one, I'm going to share this with you. You'll be like, what are you talking about? Keep a journal. Keep a journal. Listen to me. No matter how small the detail, I want you to keep track of everything that bugs you. We all have pet peeves, am I correct? We all have things that get on our nerves. I want you to begin to write down those annoyances, and I want you to keep track of them. I would like for you to write down three or four things a day that annoy you in your journal. I would be asking you this week, maybe you can set aside some time to to begin to think about what are those things that other people do that bug me. And if by chance this week you find yourself accidentally being happy, take out your journal and review your notes, your frustrations, 
Maybe some of you could even, from your journal, write down some of those frustrations on note cards and put them all over your home. (laughs) Number two, use negative words whenever you can. When you look at the lives of all those grateful people you know, You've got to remember that they're probably not really all that grateful because they're probably not being realistic about life. Man, even Siri's all about this sermon, okay. Listen, maybe, maybe the grateful people in our in our lives, maybe they just need to begin to act out and practice reciting their frustrations more too. Listen, your language matters. I want you to be mindful of the adjectives you use. The more strongly you label things, I believe the better you're going to be able to cultivate this grumbling spirit I'm talking about. So why don't you be sure to use adjectives like this. Horrible, bad, atrocious, irritating, dumb. Just just add all those to your vocabulary. Truth number three, remember, don't get up and walk out. Just hold on. I want you to be constantly distracted. Some of you actually were here and you saw the video. Some of you came in late. You're like, what video are you talking about? It was a great video. Thankful people usually can't or or they refuse to remember all the bad stuff that's happened in their past. They don't worry enough about all the awful things that could happen in the future. Listen, if you want to be an A-plus complainer, you must be able to, to do both. Always, always, you need to always multitask. Don't waste your time simply eating a meal, simply enjoying a meal. Entertain yourself constantly while you're eating. Look at your phone, watch television. If you give yourself too much time to focus on the good stuff happening around you, you might miss out on the potential threats that are out there on the horizon or the bad stuff that you've already experienced in the past. And then number four, when you pray, just focus on yourself. Just use your prayer time to ask God for what you really want. I mean, praising God for who he is, that that might be kind of a waste of time. He already knows how great he is, right? He doesn't need you going on and on about him. Instead, why don't you just remind him of everything that you want that you don't have yet? So, there one person just walked out. <laughs> Have no idea what that was about. But fortunately, they're like, they're going to go get on Twitter or something right now. Like, I don't know what's up with this church, but that bro is crazy. Yeah. Here's the truth. Enough of that silliness. I'm going to show you how we can reverse each one of these four points to see what it looks like to be more grateful and less 
of a negative Nelly. And if your name is Nelly, I'm sorry. Anybody? No, I don't think so. So let's do this again. Number one, keep a journal. You're like, well, that didn't change. It's the same point. Yeah, I know. But here's the point. Since we do live, according to Scripture, we know this, in a crooked and perverted generation, we know this. We're bombarded with messages and images that are absolutely heartbreaking. So why should I keep a journal? So that I might have an account to remember the blessings and the faithfulness of God. Listen, the Bible speaks of this. We do not want to be like the Israelites and forget the Lord and all he has done. Look at Judges chapter 8 verse 34. Scripture says, And the Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They, they just forgot. I think Gospel Coalition founder Don Carson, listen to what he said. I think he was 1% correct when he said this. We'll put his quote on the screen. He said, believers who spend no time reviewing and pondering in their minds what God has done, whether they're alone and reading their Bibles or whether they're joining other believers in corporate adoration, should not be surprised if they rarely sense that God is near. Part of being thankful is reflecting, journaling, remembering God's faithfulness. Number two, let's turn it around. Instead of using negative words, critical words, use positive words whenever you can. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 with me. And let no, no corrupting talk. Your Bible may say this in multiple ways. Your Bible say, and let no foul language, and let no unwholesome talk, no corrupt talk. None of it, Scripture says, let none of it come out of your mouth. But instead, what comes out should only be good for building other people up. As it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, the simplest, most practical application of this, listen up, here it is. Here's what this means. This Wednesday night, husband... When your wife, this Wednesday night, asks you to go back to the grocery store for the second or third time, teenager, if your mom or dad say, hey, I need you to go to the store and pick this up, even though they've already been, it simply means we must consider the words we speak and how we respond. I got one amen from the front row. It was my wife. Maybe you're like, that's not my deal. Well, how about this one? So this Thursday on Thanksgiving Day, wherever you are or whatever day you plan to get together with family, when you find yourself in the living room with that one family member you would rather not be with, you know. Is right there immediately. According to scripture, if we're going to be obedient to God's word, we must carefully choose the words we speak. Proverbs 18, 21 says this. 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. I, sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts me to say something extra. I need to. I have two older brothers. And um, my oldest brother, Mike, lives in Seattle. I don't talk to him much, but I called him this week to check on him. He's not, he's not physically healthy, and he's not mentally healthy right now. He doesn't know that. And he doesn't want to take the medicines that have been prescribed to help him with that. And I've always respected and loved my oldest brother. But in this conversation on the phone this week, the anger within him continued to build and build and build and build. And my brother, he's like almost 70 years old. And he's mad at everybody. He is mad at things that happened when he was 16 years old. And these stories are playing out over and over and over again. And he said some things to me that he's never said in his entire life that devastated me. Like, you can ask Jared and Monica. They were at the office when I was on this phone call, and I was crying. Consider your words, friends. Consider your words this week. And if there has been pain in your family in the past, do you realize that the Holy Spirit of God can give you words to offer an olive branch to begin down a road of reconciliation? God shows you that opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Number three, be present. Instead of constantly being distracted, just be present. I saw a quote this week related to living in the present instead of being constantly distracted. I don't even know where this, who, who wrote this. I don't even know. Look at this. It's good. And live each day as if it's your last because one day you'll be right. Yeah. As God allows, our plan is to get in the vehicle and drive to Oklahoma. And Shauna's dad is on hospice care, and he's not good, and we don't think he has many weeks left. And my mom is 90. She's 90. That's all I need to say. Live each day as if it's your last, because one day you'll be right. I would guess that for most of us, there are countless missed opportunities that God has given you, that God has given me to be present in the lives of our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. That's our oikos, our extended family. And yet, I struggle. I'm distracted. I'm guessing you are too. And many of us, we, we think in our mind, oh, I've got this multitasking thing down. I've got it down, right? But do we really? James writes to the church, look at what he says, James chapter 4. Verse 14, he says, why, 
You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? He says that you're like this mist that appears for just a little while. It's gone. It vanishes. I will say this, and I know it to be true. You can ask people who are in the medical field, who are with individuals in their last moments of life on their deathbed. No one from their deathbed ever says, if only I had put in a few more hours at the office. No one on their deathbed ever says, if only I had spent a little more time scrolling through Facebook. No one from their deathbed ever says, if only I would have just watched one more Netflix series. Be present. Be present. And then finally, focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. I'll leave you with this text from the book of Hebrews. It's powerful. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, this is powerful. This is such promise. Therefore, Christian... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, man, just throw off everything. Throw off all the stuff that hinders and all the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Doing what? How do you do that? You fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the pioneer. Because he's the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, remember, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now today before we go, you know, some of you, you're like, whoa, that was a lot. You talked about hope for the house. You did something kind of funny, unthankful. We really need to be thankful. But the most important reason I believe God brought you here today was to hear this. God loves you. God loves you. He sent his perfect, sinless son, Jesus, to walk among us, to show us how to live. And Jesus, living this perfect, sinless life, eventually went to the cross. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And at the cross, he gave his life, he shed his blood so that we might have an opportunity to be made right, to be forgiven, to have a relationship through Jesus with our Heavenly Father. I don't know where you're at. I understand that, and I don't even know if you believe that, but I want to tell you very simply, it begins with you understanding what he promises. He says that God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son Whoever you are, no matter who you are, if you believe in him, you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. It's John 3.16. Those crazy guys in the end zone, you know, they hold up the signs with that Bible verse. 
but it's true. He loves you. You don't got to fix everything in your life. You just come to him. You surrender your life to him. You admit that you're a sinner. And then you believe. You believe in your heart that God sent his son and, and he was raised from the dead. And, and then you choose to follow him. And so today you've been here and, and I want you to know God loves you. I want you to know Jesus gave his life for you. And what a spectacular week. It could even become better if you should decide, man, it's time. It's time for me to stop trying to live my life on my own in a selfish way, but to surrender my life to Christ. Man, what are you waiting on? So in just a moment, we're going to pray together, then we're going to stand up and we're going to sing together. And then while we're singing together, there will be some volunteers over here on the gym wall. And and they're just going to be there to pray with you, to talk to you, to answer your questions. And I'm encouraging you today to to listen to what God's leading you to. So bow your heads with me this morning, church. Thank you, Lord, for today. God, there's, there's just so much distraction in all of our lives. And God, it's pretty precious to me to be able to come into this place and to get rid of some of that, if only for an hour. To be reminded of your love for each of us. To be reminded that, God, there's nothing we can do in our own strength to fix ourselves up to be good enough for you. But instead, God, you loved us so much, even when we're all messed up, that you gave your son as the greatest sacrifice ever so that we could be made right through him and what was accomplished at the cross. Thank you for that, Lord. I believe definitely people in this room today who need to be reminded that they're loved by you. And so, God, the question now is what do they do with that? What do we do with that? How do we live our lives? Those of us who would say, yeah, I'm a born-again believer. I'm a follower of Christ. How do we live it out this week? Well, God, we, we look to your word. And today we've talked about some really practical, simplistic things that you call us to. God, let us apply it now and live it. God, for the folks in this room who, who for the first time today, they're really at that place, that crossroads of trying to discern, what is it, Lord, you're wanting me to do? Oh, God, draw them to yourself and allow them this day to choose to follow you. Thank you for this morning, Lord. May we be obedient to you now as we worship you again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.